in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. Case Keenum is going to start an NFL game and a primetime game because they play Thursday night against the Broncos. Baker Mayfield has that shoulder injury. He has been playing through it since I think it was week one he got hurt. Uh, he, They are actually going to take him out and start Case Keenum instead. Uh, Broncos have a much better chance to win now that Case Keenum is in there. Brutal for the Browns, though, because they're not bad, but they have lost to a lot of good teams so far this year. And now Baker Mayfield being out, not well, good for them. We know what happened to Cream Hunt. They've already they've already said Nick Chubb's out again. So I what guess Dearness Johnson, I believe. Dearness Johnson is the guy. Uh, picked him up yesterday. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, uh, not good for the Browns this week. I would imagine Teddy Bridgewater is questionable, so he'll play. Uh, I imagine this is a good night for the Broncos. Should be. Should be. Because the My Broncos goodness. also aren't bad. I mean, Raiders made them look bad. But the Broncos also aren't bad. No. So, should be a good day for the Broncos. Case Keenum back there with Dearness Johnson. <laughs> as the running back. So, I don't know what the Browns are doing offensively. But, yeah, it should be a good day for Denver. But maybe Teddy Bridgewater throws four picks again. Maybe Ted, the Raiders Come on now. Teddy There's no John Abram on that That's other right, side. Jonathan Abram. Come on. Next question. I thought there was a joke coming. <laughs> the Warriors, they got an interception, Jared. The Warriors beat the Lakers last night. And the hot takes. You ready for them? Russell Westbrook's going to cost the uh, Lakers a title. One game. Three of 12 hey. from the floor. Oh, of four from three. He is 0 in three in Lakers opening. Like opening games. In Who opening is? games? Uh, Russell Westbrook. I mean, he hasn't always played on the Lakers, oh, okay. but... <laughs> Uh, because here's what happened last night. LeBron and Anthony Davis were good. They combined to score 67 points. LeBron was 13 to 23 shooting. AD was 15 to 26. Wasn't like, even a great night for Steph. Yeah. Curry had uh, a shot like five of 21 yeah. or something like that. He had a triple double, but he didn't shoot very right. well. And the Lakers don't have a third option. No. Like, and it's just like we said yesterday. <laughs> He's going to have to figure out his place. And Vogel talked about it afterwards. He's going to be fine. He's going to be great for us. I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be great for them. It's If it's going to take time, I think it's going to take a long time for him to figure out where he is in this offense. I think regular season, they're going to be fine because Westbrook is going to be a good regular season player. There's going to be a lot of times where Anthony Davis and LeBron James aren't combining to score 67 points with fairly good efficiency. And they're going to need Westbrook to make plays and make shots and, and fill up the, the scoreboard. But the big concern is going to be the postseason when teams can basically drill down. Hey, make Russell Westbrook beat us from three. That's going to be the issue because, as you saw last night, as we've seen his entire career, he's not going to do it. He's not going to be able to beat you from three. What do you think of the Warriors? Pretty deep. I thought they uh, to come back and they didn't turn it over in the second half. And I thought they played well. Um, as well, they obviously played well in the fourth quarter. But uh, that was kind of a fun team to watch. I uh like not how think, good they're going to be and Clay's not back to like January I think. I like to think I am a uh somebody that pays attention to the NBA. I had no idea who Nemanja Behalika is. Okay. I I don't know who that was, but he played last night and he was very good last night. He had 15 points, he missed one shot. The Warriors were plus 20 when he was on the floor and they kept saying his name and I was like I 
I don't know who Bihalika is. I have no. I thought they were mispronouncing it because like that's not a real person. He's been in the league for multiple years. Like it's not even like he's a rookie that just came out of nowhere. He played. He played in 2015. Now here's. I, I will give myself the benefit of the doubt. Three years in Minnesota, two years in Sacramento. Yeah. Okay. That's why okay. Noah. Yeah. That's... He really didn't play in the NBA. So, <laughs> but like he was good for them last night. And I'm just like, who is that? Why is this guy would be the third best player on the Lakers tonight? So yeah, maybe they'll be good if Bihalika is a competent NBA player that nobody's seen play because he was with Minnesota and Sacramento. Oh, uh, you know, I can't tell you that. Dallas Cowboys safety, Demonte Casey, was arrested on a DWI charge on Tuesday morning. Uh, he was released on a $2,500 bond. I am excited to see how the Cowboys managed to blow their 5-1 and one start to the season. Oh, don't say that. Because it's going to be spectacular. These darn San Diego State kids getting drunk. And oh, is he from San Diego yeah. State? Oh, what a disaster. No one to blame but yourself. <laughs> yes, I had a lot to do with it to tell him to get behind the wheel. Um don't, not too good offensively. Too, with the with the future Raiders coach Colin Place on that team, I just I think it's going to be hard for them to blow. A, and by the way, like last year, their division stinks. They're going to have to completely fall apart to even not win that division by three or four games. By fall apart, I mean make the playoffs still and lose and in the first round. Losing the first round, right. okay? Because right. they're making the playoffs. I don't think they have any chance to not make the no. Right now. It's a like, horrible what, division. What are they? They're they're five and one. Win three more games. Yeah, because I think second place teams two and three. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> is anybody else in that division getting to nine wins? No. So no. You just got to get Daniel Jones healthy. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. Marvin Bagley's agent does not like Sacramento. No uh, one likes Sacramento. Jeff Schwartz put out a statement yesterday. Agent for Marvin Bagley, who was the second overall pick in 2018. Sacramento has informed Marvin Bagley he is not in the opening night rotation, which is completely baffling. It's clear they have no plans for him in the future, and yet passed on potential deals at last year's deadline and this summer based on value. Instead, they chose to bring him back, but not play him. A move completely contradictory to their value argument. Also called it a case study uh, in mismanagement. I, uh, I have, and he's a, and Schwartz is a pretty big time agent, but I haven't seen this where they go public like this very often and, and be specific about, you know, my guy's yeah. not in the opening. And here's the other thing. He's not in the opening night lineup. Okay. Cause Walton, I saw a quote from Walton that they wanted to, uh, like you say here, they wanted to go small. He had a quote there last week after one of their um, preseason games. Who's to say he's not going to play 30 minutes? This was very strange that he's not in the opening night lineup. What does that mean? He might end up playing 30 minutes a game. Does, I just, that do was head weird. coaches go to players and say, hey, you're in the rotation, you're not in the rotation? I think he's in the rotation. I thought this was, he was completely, he said it was completely baffling. Well, he said, okay, opening night rotation. I can't believe Marvin Bagley's not in the rotation. I thought this guy meant like he wasn't in the starting lineup. No, like, just who, rotation. Who cares about that? Yeah, just rotation. Like, does does like did Walton, I would think Walton did they goes go to, to Bagley and say, "Hey, you're not playing at all. Like, you're not in the rotation. You're not playing at." I can't imagine coaches do that. Like, don't no, you? because what if someone if someone gets right. hurt and, and psychologically you've already psyched him out by saying you're not right. playing? So, I very strange on that. But I'll, I'll listen, Jeff Schwartz. You know what he's missing sword in the back of Marvin Bagley. 
What are we doing here? Well, he can call another agent to figure out how to do that. Haven't we learned anything from Alan Walsh? When you're mad at oh, the yeah. team's office, front office, or coaching With staff? With Walton on the blade? Yeah. You put you put a sword in the back of Marvin Bagley. That'll put Walton you. on the blade. You'll get traded two years later to one of the worst teams in the league, but he's With already no on defense one of the worst in front of you. Yeah, there's one. <laughs> Flurry giving up four goals every single game every, he's played. It's just he's the not trophy winner. He's third to last. He's not last. He's third to last in goals saved above average this year. I can't believe he's third to last. Yeah, he's every, negative Every game five. I look, they're giving up four and five. I'd have to go look again. Somebody's negative nine already, which is Is, un- it, is it whoever's filling in for Carey Price in Montreal? Because <laughs> they're horrible. I don't care about him. Next question. Doug Brumfield is day to day. UNLV is hopeful that Cameron Friel will be able to play on Thursday. Again, they got a short week. They play tomorrow. Brumfield did not play on Saturday because of a back injury. Friel left that game, and Justin Rogers had to finish it. So more question marks for the quarterback position. Here's my question for you, Ed. If Doug Brumfield can't play, if Cameron Friel can't play, should Tate Martell be playing over Justin Rogers? Yes, but we keep hearing, again, how long has it been? Like, well, if he's hurt, he's hurt. You can't, you're not going to get past that if he's hurt, but... You know, still doesn't grasp everything. I mean, listen, I'm sorry. It's not that complex of an offense. And if I mean, if he if he hasn't grasped everything yet, I don't know if he's grasping everything. I'm also taking my chances that Tate Martell with 50% of the playbook is better than Justin Rogers with 100% Absolutely. of the playbook. Absolutely. Because Justin Rogers with 100% of the playbook, not been good. No. Not at all. And he's yeah. been around enough to have 100%. Right. Like... Cameron Friel, significantly better. Doug Brumfield, a lot better right. than Justin Rogers has looked this year. And again, I, I think it's fair to keep reminding everybody of this. There was a quarterback competition in the offseason. Marcus Arroyo picked Justin Rogers as right. the winner of that quarterback competition. And we're sitting here halfway into the season. It's still unbelievable after watching these guys play that there even was a quarterback competition, right. let alone that Arroyo picked the wrong guy. Like, we haven't really seen Tate Martell play. He's been in on some no. packages, but Justin Rogers might be the fourth best quarterback on this roster. And Arroyo had him. I winning. would play Tate. I mean, yeah. if he's healthy, because he's had the the foot stuff and all of that. But if he's healthy, which you told me he got in last week's he game, played like one a play? snap in a pack. They brought him in before Friel got hurt. They brought him in just to run like a little gadget play with him in the game. So he was healthy enough to play that one snap. Then but- let him play and run nothing but gadget plays. <laughs> Hey, but definitely the good news was CBS Sports zoomed in on Tate Martell doing some warm-up throws for about 15 minutes or so. When Cameron Friel got hurt and UNLV had to, I think they had to punt after that. Tate started warming up. CBS CBS Sports Network showed Tate Martell warming up, and I was like, oh, they're going to him. When UNLV got the ball back from commercial, it was like, oh, Justin Rogers is in the game at quarterback. I was like, oh, he is. They also couldn't figure out where the slot machine was. Wow, sorry. Um, I got you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. Tennessee was fined $250,000 for throwing trash on the field. They threw a mustard bottle, a whole bunch of water bottles. Lane Kiffin got hit by a golf ball. Tennessee cheerleaders had to leave the field because they were in the line of fire from their own fans. So quarter of a million dollar fine to Tennessee. Uh, with a colleague who's hitting the head with a bottle, I have no problem with this line. It's just complete stupidity and stupidity and ignorance. And and the the not the sad part is, but the bad part is, it's just not a majority of the people. 
you just get a section of complete idiots who are doing these things. And then, you know, on Monday, it's like, well, it's the entire Tennessee crowd. No, there's over 100,000 people there. Believe me, if 100,000 people were throwing things, a lot of more people yeah. would have been hurt. Oh, yeah. That would that would, <laughs> that would have been more probably the largest riot yeah, in the U.S. history. Exactly. So it was a bunch of idiots who were doing these things. And what it, I liked what Kiffin said. He actually named the golf ball uh, what kind of golf ball it was. <laughs> so he had fun with it. Um uh, but no, I I think it's I think it's complete ignorance to do these things. I'm sorry. Uh, Lane Kiffin, in his uh, post game uh, sideline interview, uh, was talking about the incident, and apparently Lane Kiffin told his players to just put the helmet on so they could finish the game. Yeah, yeah, they're throwing stuff, but just put your helmet on, you'll be fine. And it wasn't until somebody from Tennessee's sideline came over and said, "Hey." Get your players off the sideline so they stop getting hit by stuff. Like Lane Kiffin was ready to just play just through going. water bottles being thrown <laughs> on the field. Yeah, you got your helmets on. You'll be fine. And I don't know how they got them in there, but there's some glass bottles as well. And and I mean, I you can put the golf ball in your, I guess your you know your pocket and be okay. But they said there were glass bottles. Don't know how those got in there. Um, Two hundred fifty thousand. They probably got away lucky. I have never been to Neyland Stadium, Neither but my I. experience going to Ole Miss football games. That hard to sneak anything in. Yeah, it's no, no? security okay. sort of a look at you. And, yeah, you look good. There was uh, I mean, like much. TSA at the airport. <laughs> yeah, hello. Not, not much going on security wise. <laughs> no. Like anything you can fit in like your pockets <laughs> is going in. Yeah. Kalong told me a couple days ago. <laughs> I, you gotta get rid of this echo. <laughs> can't talk. I'm drunk. Whatever. <laughs> All right, we're going to break. I like that too much. Uh, <laughs> Coming up next. You can't, you can't top that. The Golden Knights are back tonight. Who the hell's playing for this team? Brady and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Brady and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Golden Knights are back. That was That's a weird way to start the season. Two games and then you're just... Off for a week. Yeah, it's like they they had their Olympic break early. Did the Olympics happen? <laughs> so uh, I, I would say it came at the right time because the Golden Knights are about as beat up as they've probably ever been in their franchise history. But it's not like they're going to be fully healthy. Uh, the lines from practice yesterday, Evgeny Dadnov, Chandler Stevenson, and Nick Waugh, Marcus O'Carlson and Smith, Peyton Krebs, Nolan Patrick, and Keegan Colasar. Will Carrier, Brett Howden, and Jake Lashizen. Translation, where does the scoring come from? <laughs> Marsha Sokar. No, the, yeah, it has to be the second line, right? Like, it has to be the second line. Maybe Dodonov uh, is good enough to do it. Like, that is brutal because what you have if you're the Golden Knights right now, uh, Max Pacioretty is going to miss approximately six weeks because he uh, broke a bone in his foot. Uh, Mark Stone, what the hell does this mean, by the way, is somewhere between day-to-day and week-to-week? Ten days? I don't know. I think the best... Well, okay, so two days ago or three days ago when DeBoer said he's going to see a second doctor, that's never a good thing. No. Because you're asking for a second opinion, and it usually means he's having surgery. So when DeBoer came in yesterday, I was there yesterday, when he said he's not going to need surgery, I think everyone in the room thought, oh, it's not as serious. But then he said I would qualify him day-to-day, week-to-week, which tells me I. they say lower body... I think it's like abdominal where, you know, whether it's a strain or whatever, I actually think something happened in a place where it could be week to week if it doesn't heal. And some of these things take weeks to heal. Some, you know, you bounce back faster. That has to be something like that. 
Um, I think we both thought, and it still might be, I'm not completely sure what it is. I think we both thought when it happened, it was a knee. Um, and maybe it is, but I just, I just think it's something where, you know, it's like a, uh, like a groin or a, you know, a hamstring where you're like, okay, you could be back in 10 days, you could be back in four weeks. You have no idea. So that's what I think he meant. But I think they're all, um, breathe a sigh of relief that he's not having surgery. Cause then you're out for a while. Right. Um, I, don't know that we so here's the thing when he says day to day and week to week if we could trust golden knights injury updates that would sort of imply well he'll be back sometime soon but we don't have a good idea right but when it's the golden knights and they say day to day or week to week that could just be their way of not letting anybody have any idea it could of be a month Mark from Stone, that right and that could be i mean again eric hall like it's stretched off oh, he's day to day like like that happens with this organization. Robin Leonard last year had the concussion and missed a month, and he started started off with oh he's day to day. So the first year with Flurry's concussion, it was the same thing. Yeah. So and granted, concussions are ones that you got to pass the right. the concussion the protocol, protocol sure. and everything. But it's like there's there's very little trust I have in any sort of injury updates that lets me think anything good about Mark Stone's injury. Like all, here's what we know. He's not playing tomorrow. I, actually, we technically don't even know that, but I think it's fair to say he's not playing tomorrow. Now, those forward lines. <laughs> I don't know. Bad enough, maybe. But uh, again, it, we were sitting there at practice yesterday, literally asking everyone, like, who's scoring? And everyone had the same answer, the second line. That's all anyone could look at and say, well, they're going to be counted on to do the scoring for this team right now until some of these guys get back. Or... Like, and I know Ben wrote about this morning, is it going to have to come from people like Theodore? Like, are they going to have to play differently to get, you know, in position to, you know, help offensively more? Yeah, Monday when we talked to Ryan Wallace when you were out, he he brought up the idea that defensemen are going to have to step up. And what's interesting is Pete DeBoer, his last year and a half at San Jose, he had Eric Carlson and Brett Burns. And Brett Burns, yeah. And they their, their offense was run through those two. Right. They took, I think, more shots from the point than any other team in the NHL because those were you know, probably their two best offensive players, but they were both defensemen. So there is like a lot. Pete DeBoer has had some experience in terms of, Hey, I got to get offensive production out of my two top two defensemen. How do I do that? So I think if they need that, there's reason to believe they'll be able to get some of that. They can change the offense right. a little bit more, change their uh, primary point of attack. If that's what they want to do. Um, you know, what this all means is that Keegan Colasar is going to have a hat trick, right? Keegan Colasar. Had some nice nifty moves at practice. I'm going to give you like the report, and he scored on Robin Leonard two he or three him? times. Oh, see, no, that's he the finished thing. it. He finished it. He's got nice nifty yeah. moves. No, he finished them. He just usually misses yes. the net. No, he finished them yesterday. <laughs> I mean, it's practice, and uh, I don't know how serious you take it, but he did finish him yesterday. So, yeah, he's going to have to be a guy who maybe steps up and and finishes a few when it actually counts. How much trouble do you think the Golden Knights are in long term? So. I mean, they lost the game, and Edmonton immediately became the favorite to win the Pacific Division. Dom Lachizan of The Athletic, who has, like, his uh, daily uh, – it, it updates daily, I should say uh, – playoff odds and and basically where everybody should end up. Uh, the Golden Knights are no longer the favorites in the Pacific Division. <laughs> it's been a week. Um, <laughs> he tweeted out that it has a lot to do with the Pacioretty injury, that that has downgraded the Golden Knights – Obviously, the Mark Stone injury, too, but because there's this patch ready, we have a significant, we actually know how long he's out. Mark Stone could play over the weekend. Right, could play something. tonight. Yeah, so, uh, but they are no longer the favorites to win the Pacific Division two games in. Yeah, I think that's a little silly. 
Um, I, I mean, he goes day to day. I get it. So it's going to change a million times right. during the course of a season. Right. It's not like he's doing this month to month where you're like, oh, man, that might mean something. Um, you know, it's fun to read, but they're going to make the playoffs. Uh, they have, like you said, now look, I don't know if any team's ever 100% healthy, and I don't know if they've ever been 100% healthy, but they've been so good that they've kind of camouflaged it with all their success. But this is the worst it's been. Yes, no doubt. I don't it. even think it's close. Yeah. This is the worst it's been. When you when you start even before the preseason, Alex Tuck is done a, for yeah, half the year exactly. or whatever it's going to be, and then you get into the season and Matthias Janmark is on the COVID protocol list. Howden, Carrier, McNabb. Waugh are all out, and then like those are all like you can survive Alex Tuck missing for half a year. You can survive your bottom six guys getting hurt because you can plug in. AHL guys, and they'll give you not the same production, but decent production for your bottom six. But when you have all of that, and then your leading goal scorer is out for six weeks, your best player is, is out for who day to day, week to week, whatever that means. That's that's kind of unbelievable. Right. Like the worst it's probably been before was when the Golden Knights lost all of their goalies in year one at the same time. I remember that. But that was one position. And granted, they had to go to Max Legacy to sort of save the day for him, but. Oscar the, Danks. The other positions were fine at the time. It's not like they had a bunch of this is the entire forward group yeah. is just outside of Marsha So Carlson and Smith. The entire forward group is done. And I'll be curious to see. Maybe he does it in game tonight if they're struggling. Does he break up that Marsha So Carlson Smith line? Because Or would you have put them as your top line? Well, I'm sure they'll play the most minutes. Yeah. Whatever. Listing them's listing them. Like we can I can borrow from Gerard Gallant. Whatever. You list the lines one through four. I'm just gonna play them. But I think Shang. I think they're gonna play the most minutes. <laughs> I think that's gonna happen regardless. So oh, they are gonna end up being the de facto top line. But I'm I am curious if if they get in the game and they're struggling, do they decide, well, we need to break this up because our bottom six can't do anything and Dadnov, Stevenson, and Wall is just not good enough to score anything either. Let's get Marceau and Carlson away from each other or something like that so that we have multiple lines with some goal-scoring threats out there. I Again, I think DeBoer is in like a bad spot where pretty much whatever he does is not going to really give you a good combination of lines, but I don't know. We'll see. I don't know if this is the way they thought they'd break that lineup because I do think this year, talking to those guys before the season, this was the year it might be broken up. I don't – I well – I certainly don't think they had hoped doing it this way. I think they thought it would be a little different, but if you're breaking it up because of this, that's not what they thought of going into the year. We're the only three healthy forwards left, yes. so we're going to have to break we're up, have guys. to break them up. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so, Golden Knights, Blues, tonight. Uh, those are your potential lines. Dodonov, Stevenson, and Wall on the top line. Marshall, Carlson, Smith, Krebs, Patrick, and Colasar on the third line, and Carrier, Carrier, Howden, and Lashizen on the fourth line. It's like And the Blues are scoring early. Yeah, and again, I don't I don't think you really blame Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee for this because again, no. the injuries have been as bad as they've been, but it is funny that the off-season objective was to make the bottom six yeah, better. A lot better. Kelly McCrimmon said it's the deepest forward group they've ever had and you're starting Will Carrier, Brett Howden, and Jake Lashizen as your fourth line, Krebs, Patrick and Colasar as your third line like it's going to be one it's one of the worst collection of talent on the bottom six the Golden Knights have ever put in a lineup outside of I guess the Colorado game last year where they didn't have a bottom six so they played with seven guys um it's pretty brutal and it's funny just given that the offseason that's what they thought they improved and because they've had half of the forward group get hurt or COVID protocol or whatever 
they just have a brutal lineup out there. I think the best team in the Pacific's coming in Friday night. Uh-oh. I think they're coming in Friday night. It's not the Golden Knights anymore. Yeah. You're jumping off. They'll jumping be on the ice. The bandwagon. I'm just going by Mr. Athletic. He All thinks right. Edmonton's the best team in the Pacific Division. Imagine Connor McDavid getting some shifts against <laughs> Carrie Howden and Lashizen. Who? <laughs> it's like you with the Golden Knights guy last or with the Warriors guy last night. Who? Connor McDavid, Lashizen. What? Do you think? Do you think Alex Petrangelo will say, "Oh boy," not because of McDavid, but because of who he's playing with? Yes. Like he steps on the ice yes, and he, he sees Lachison, Howden, and Carrier, and he's like, oh boy. Lachison, who's that? <laughs> All right, coming up next, Jason Fitz joins the show. Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Call the press box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678. He plays the fiddle and is friends with Sarah Spain. And you are not. It's time for our weekly visit with ESPN's Jason Fitz. Good morning, Jason. Jason? Am I actually friends with Sarah? Or, like, if she doesn't say we're friends back, does it still count as friends? I'm not sure, but, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find out. We talked to you, not Sarah, so we'll take your word for it. Yeah, look at that. We're best friends then. Best friends. I'm, I'm our coolest friend, actually. <laughs> All right. True or false? John Gruden was holding the Raiders back. <laughs> false. Uh, I, I think, look, you know, realistically, and I, anybody that's ever worked somewhere where there's been a huge managerial change, just think of, like, the real-life application of this. So I don't care whether you make spreadsheets or widgets or you work in radio, right? Like, you know, when there's massive managerial changes – it's easy to go one of two ways, either hyper-focus on, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into this and I'm going to do my best and I'm going to stay right in this moment, or to turn into the other, which is the, oh, my God, the ship is, is sinking, the sky is falling, chaos. I think what the Raiders did was responded with the hyper-focused version. Now, you know, the fact that they, I think, played with more focus in that game on Sunday than they have in many games with Gruden as the coach, I don't think speaks to Gruden. I just think it speaks to the individuals on the field that are coming in saying, hey, we got to save what we've fought for this season as grown men. We're going to do that. So I don't think it has as much to, Gruden as, to do with Gruden as I do think it has to do with everybody else involved. Yeah, and I think, um, as Basaccio said, we'll see if there brings any consistency. Uh, they're on film now uh, with Greg Olson calling plays. Uh, I think it gets tougher, not to say they won't win the next two. Very winnable games, especially with the buy-in between to go 6-2. and two. But what do you think about Basaccio said? He said, you know, this, if we don't follow it up with consistency, this really doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I think that speaks to who Bisaccia obviously is, like very transparent, like shockingly transparent as a head coach. I'm not sure why he is that way, but I kind of love that he is. And what he says is honest and makes sense. I mean, you knew that Olsen was basically going to take somebody else's playbook and make it his own. Now, I'll relate it to what I used to do for a living, right? Like if, if I'm the band leader of a, of a touring act and I'm putting together a set, how I put together that set is going to be very individual to me, right? But you know, all of a sudden, if somebody else puts together the set, it's going to feel really different. So how Olsen was going to put together this set, this playlist uh, for them, to me was going to be one of the more interesting things. Now that we do have a little bit of that, we'll see, okay, is that who Olsen's going to be consistently? Also, defensive coordinators will learn how to, how to battle that. So, you know, I, I think there's some reality to what the coach was saying there, and, and he's not wrong. Like, as much as that one week was a huge, I was shocked and stunned you got to keep that same energy taking on a bad Philly team because this is the sort of game that, you know, the Raiders over the last few years have uh, had some mental lapses when they played 
far inferior opponents. That's what the next two games are. So, you know, they should win the next two games. And if they don't, I think there will be a little bit of, okay, what's real and what's not for them. Okay. So how are you sort of gauging them long-term this season, as far as making the playoffs? Because they are four and two, they've got a legitimate shot to be six and two, but there are obvious flaws on the team. Uh, and also with the whole John Gruden resignation, even though they responded well against Denver, it does still feel like they could be one bad game away from imploding. So like, what is your actual overall expectation for the playoffs for this team? I, I still think they're a playoff. I, I think they're a wild card team, you know, and you know, part of that comes from what we saw a, a, on Sunday. I'll be the first to admit, like I was talking to a buddy on Saturday and said, they're, they're either going to lose, they're either going to get killed or they're going to kill. And, you know, the fact is, if the Raiders had lost, if they had been Denver in that game, if they'd lost the same way that they beat Denver, our conversation right now would not have any grace. It would all be about this thing is falling apart. So I'm going to give them the same benefit of the doubt to the positive that we would be uh, to the negative. That being said, I think the most, most uh, like, important part of this moving forward was the version of Derek Carr we had. Like, we had a very in-control, calm, relaxed, I got this, don't worry, I'll put this on my shoulders, Derek Carr. Now, I know... We've seen that at times, and there have been times that that's disappeared. But this was a great opportunity for Carr to stand up and say, here's who I am and what I'm capable of. And I I just felt like the control that he played with and then the team played with overall was really inspiring. That being said, it's still only going to be as good as the offensive line plays every single Sunday. Like, that's the Achilles heel for this team, and nothing's going to change that this season. It might get a little bit better, still going to be the Achilles heel, but I think – they're good enough in their areas of strength to make up for their areas of weakness more weeks than not. Is Desmond Trufant an indictment on the injuries or the fact that Meek Robertson can't play? Uh, well, I, I, a bit of both. I, I think, look, at, at the end of the day, no matter how we got here, Meek Robertson can't play. And, and that's, that's just where we are. So what I do love about a coaching change, and I mean this sincerely, not just a change from Gruden, anytime there's a coaching change in season – now you don't have the same sort of approach to certain guys that may have been in the building. So, you know, you've got to look around and say, okay, Amika's a liability. And I've joked about this consistently over the last two weeks, but if I was the opposing quarterback and I see Amik in the game, I'm not even hiding it. I walk up to the line of scrimmage and I say, we're throwing it to me. We're throwing at me. And they still can't stop it because he just is not, he's not ready to play. And so you've got to go out and get somebody that can get you meaningful snaps is, is Trufant going to be this inspiring, like, it's easy to look at Casey Hayward and say that's everybody that comes into this defense. That's not the case. So, you know, I think if you could just get manageable snaps from Trufant until we get Trayvon Mullen back, I, that, then everybody will feel much, much better about this defense. But it doesn't change the fact that Amit can't play. He was a mistake at this point. And unless he can get better quickly, it's, I, I'm all in on cutting bait, moving on. As soon as you realize you don't have the guy, Stop giving him the reps because of pride and start figuring out who is in the locker room that can help you win. What was in the mustard bottle thrown on the field by Tennessee fans? Oh, yeah. That was definitely somebody's way. Like, everybody keeps talking about the mustard. That was some creative Tennessee fan sneaking in liquor. Let's not be the, uh, get that twisted. But I, I think, by the way, soft by the SEC to find them a little bit of money. If I'm the SEC, I would have gone in this year. I would have fined them several million dollars, and I would have banned them from any bowl game of like that, you you can't let happen. Um, you can't let that happen. The way that just went down, I would have fined them. I would have banned them from the Bulls. I would have made sure that Tennessee has sent a statement that you know. At what point did we decide as adults that if we don't like a game being officiated the way it's being officiated, we can throw golf balls at other human beings? Like if your kid did that, if your kid came home from school and said the teacher made me mad, so I threw a 
golf ball at the other guy. Like, you would absolutely be appalled at your child's actions. Why are we letting adults act like children? Tennessee should be ashamed of themselves, and the SEC should come down with the thunder of the gods. It was a titleist, so. (laughs) Jason (laughs) Jason Fitz for SEC commissioner. Yes. Let's go. Get get out there and run for it. I mean, you know what? If I were if I were the czar of college football, I'd only make it about a week before schools voted me out. But I would <laughs> I would let people know that hey, we're going to have some rules, and you're not going to act like a more like it's not that long ago that we we were looking longingly at empty stadiums. Thank God, being in a stadium is such a privilege. And now you got morons in Knoxville trying to lose that for everybody. All right, when you were at the band, if Ed Orgeron wanted to put children on the stage and just let them play a bunch of sets, would you have allowed that? Uh, no, I wouldn't. But the the one thing that I will say, I don't fault him for. People are like, why is he like he's single? Why is he picking up girls at a gas station in and around LSU? And I'm saying, look, the only pickup line anybody in a band knows is, "Hey, I'm in a band." Like that's the only pickup line we know. So like, I don't fault Coach O for walking in and be like, "Hey guys, I'm the head coach of LSU football." Like I'd be using that at the Tiger Mart, at the grocery store, at literally every place. Like I'd walk in and sit down and be like. Uh, hi, I'm the head coach of LSU football. I would love a steak tonight. Like, I'd be using it everywhere for free things. And, if you know, if it happens to maybe get a particular female person interested in me, I, I don't fault him for, the, for, for trying on it. All right, here's the problem with that Ogeron pickup lines. There is zero chance anyone can understand a word he says. Well, no, you're not wrong about that, but that's why it's important that he's picking up you know, ladies at the gas station in L- at LSU because they speak about like he does. So when he walks up and he says, "I'm going to LSU," then they turn around like, "Hear him out!" And like, there we go. Like, and Boomauer, like, is from King of the Hill, is enjoying the entire conversation, and none of the rest of us can understand it. I mean, true on the pickups, it was a little weird that the five-year-old got to play wide receiver. That like they threw that- they threw these kids into drills, which I thought was a little disturbing and possibly potentially dangerous. Yeah, no, no doubt, and I'm not sure what message it sends to your locker room. Also, like where it's like I'm gonna let, and not even like my 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 kids. If it's your kids, I can see where they're coming in, but it's like my girlfriend's kids or this girl I'm trying to see kids. Like that gets that's where you start to get into the the weirdness of all of this for the players, and probably part of why LSU is happy to just turn around and say, you know what, a lot of people want this job. Let's just stay away from this character at this point. I just hope that Coach O saves all of his money off because he's not for most schools he's not head coaching material so i hope he saved all that cash unless he wants to take an assistant coach job somewhere his his days are probably numbered i, I could see him on tv uh, trying to explain what? things in words we can't speak you can't understand <laughs> before i could see him back on the sideline for a prominent program uh you have a name for who you think would take that job or who you would like to see take that job well i i don't uh, I, I think it's a name that raiders fans are becoming familiar with too but my first guess is that they get, they announced this early to get ahead of it because Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator mm-hmm. uh, down in Carolina, is obviously was the passing game coordinator that won them a national championship at LSU. So, you know, a lot of people talking about Jimbo. I, I mean, Jimbo's in such a good situation monetarily with A&M. I don't see why he would leave. I don't see why Dabo would leave. I think a lot of coaches right now are using it for leverage to try and get a raise across the board. But I look at Joe Brady and say, okay, you won a national championship there. You're beloved in that city. Your recruiting pitch is pretty easy when you go there. So a lot of those guys in that locker room still know you and know of you. So it feels like if you want to win quickly and for the long term, Brady is the guy they're going to go after, which then makes sense announcing it, uh, announcing this parting of the ways a week after the Raiders uh, fire or, or John Gruden resigns from the Raiders because I think Joe Brady was going to be on their list also. So I, I think LSU's 
trying to get ahead of every offensive mind that's out there. It's a little big list there. You, you you have to hire Raiders coach by tomorrow, and Brady's gone to LSU. Who do you pick? Oh, man. Joe Brady's at LSU. Um, golly, that's I, – I don't know. I, I mean, the brightest offensive coordinator I can find. I, you know, I, I know – Man, I, I don't have a name that comes to mind that I think is, is the guy. Um, but I will say this. Like, I know everybody always mentions Bienemy. I've talked to several people to try and figure out why Bienemy's never gotten a job, the offense coordinator at Kansas City. Combination of some of the people that have played for him aren't huge fans, and he doesn't interview particularly well. So I think everybody putting Eric Bienemy on the sideline of the Raiders is vastly premature. You know, I, I, I don't see that happening. But, you know, I keep looking at, at the success that the Chargers are having. Uh, obviously with their hire and thinking, man, finding somebody that is young and energetic and fired up uh, that, that you know knows their way around a locker room is easier said than done because for every one of those you get right, man, you'll get 10 of them wrong. Look at how many coaches are on the hot seat that have been hired over the last three, four years. So, you know, I'd rather take somebody young and new. I just don't have a name off the top of my list. Lane Kiffin it is. <laughs> no, God. You know, just bring your golf balls, everybody. It'll be free for everybody. Free golf balls when you walk in. We'll use beer pong balls, though, so it's like little, little pong balls. They don't hurt as much. That's got to be the approach. Well, he's Jason Fitz from ESPN. Jason, as always, we appreciate Thanks, Jason. it. Appreciate you guys. Do you see a million dollars in no bowl game? No bowl game. Yeah. Multiple millions. He said millions. Multiple and millions. millions. Yeah, get Tennessee the hell out of here. He'd kick them out of the SEC if they did yeah. it again. Do you remember when uh, Roger Goodell was on the cover of Time Magazine as like the face, the new, the new enforcer of the NFL? Jason Fitz would be the new enforcer of the, of the SEC. SEC. <laughs> Coming up next, somebody's got to enforce something on Ben Simmons. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Be part of the conversation on the Finley Kia text line at 69187. Finley Kia, come see a Kia on West Sahara. The NBA season is underway and more fun than any of the games as Ben Simmons and the Philadelphia 76ers. He was kicked out of practice yesterday. Um, the reporting from Sham Sharnia was that he was asked to check into a defensive drill. He said, no, doc rivers asked him again. He said no again. And doc rivers told him, well, just go home. And Ben Simmons went home and just left practice. The 76ers, according to Adrian Wojnarowski have fined Ben Simmons $1.4 million for missing the preseason games. Plus they have fined him for missing meetings and being sort of aloof in practices. And the way Adrian Wojnarowski phrased it was that he has not made any money since reporting to the team on October 11th. That basically he's been there, but the way he's acted, the Sixers have fined him for basically not being an active participant. How many more fines go for the cell phone in the pocket? <laughs> I think that was already one of them. Was that already one of them? <laughs> what, what? Yeah, I don't. I don't know what you define a loof as. <laughs> what do you? What do you do with this clown show? I mean, what, what do you do with this clown I mean, show? We just heard Joel Embiid. It's it's over in Philly. Yeah, like Joel Embiid, like said yesterday, the best player in the team says, "I want nothing to yeah, do with this guy." Hasn't talked to him. At the end of the day, it's not our job to babysit somebody. Yeah. At this point, I don't care about that man. He does what yeah. he wants. Like. You it's can't over. have him on that team. <laughs> it's over. Yeah. Which means, again, we talked about yesterday, what's the leverage? Yeah. Who, I mean, who wants him on a team? Yeah, so if you are 
any other organization and you're looking at potentially trading for Ben Simmons, there are a lot of issues that are going on right now where you're like, all right, if he gets unhappy about one thing, yeah, is what's this, this guy going to do? Is this what I get? Yeah. Is this the type of player that I get? And uh, there have been the reports about Ben Simmons wants to play in a big market or whatever. So if you're a small market team, if you're Sacramento, Minnesota, Indiana, whatever, any of these other smaller markets that would potentially trade for him, you're like, all right, if I trade for this guy, is he not going to show up because he doesn't want to play in a smaller city? Like, there's a lot of questions about other teams. And so the Sixers have the leverage over Ben Simmons right now because Ben Simmons doesn't want to be a Sixer anymore, but the Sixers are the ones that can control they that. They control and his rights. They don't even have to technically pay him right. <laughs> because of the way he's acting. But in terms of the entire league, the Sixers don't have any leverage to trade this guy. No. Because other teams aren't going to give something up. They'd have to just give him away. Yeah. And there was Adrian Wojnarowski reported yesterday that the Sixers don't want to trade him for role players, that they want to trade him for a star, somebody that will help them win a championship. Who's giving a star for that guy? Right. It doesn't doesn't exist. And well, we don't know that because none none of us watch the Sacramento Kings. So (laughs) B. Halika could be a superstar that's helping the Warriors win a title. (laughs) Um, But that's that's the thing. And it does seem fair. Yeah, why don't you go play in Sacramento? <laughs> we'll see how much you like Philly then. The only uh, publicly reported trade offer that I, at least I've seen, maybe there have been others, but it was a couple months ago, Indiana offered Malcolm Brogdon and a first-round pick yeah. for Ben Simmons. That's not happening now. Yeah, and like Brogdon is a starting point guard right. in the NBA. He's a good player, and a first-round pick is obviously you know a decent asset to throw in there. I don't know if they get anything better than that. No. And by the way, one update on that. The Pacers gave Brogdon an extension, and because they signed him, he can't be traded this year. So even if okay. the Sixers were like, oh, we want that now, I mean, Brogdon can't be traded. Take Brogdon out of it. Would you even give up a first for this clown right now? I think I would. If you if the Sixers said, hey, just one first-round pick, I probably would do that. because And just hope that he's not a complete disaster? The chances of your first-round pick being as good as Ben Simmons, very low. Obviously, Ben Simmons might not show up. But, right. He might not even get on the plane. But it's they're both essentially lottery tickets. So, yeah, I'd, I'd be willing to give a first-round, especially if I was expected to make the playoffs right if if it's if my pick is coming 15 or later absolutely if my right. pick is if i suck one through five if i'm like the rockets no i'm not no. giving up a first round pick because i might have the first overall pick but if my pick's gonna suck yeah i got no problem with it but it's just it's incredible and i don't i don't know what happens because who who trades who for wants him, this guy? right so i, I it's is, a it's it, a bizarre scenario is anyone having trouble selling season tickets Hey, we traded for a guy yeah. that might not show yeah. up. But we could put him on the ticket. <laughs> yeah, you could put his face on the ticket talking into a cell phone. We could do a bobblehead night of him. That's <laughs> yes, with his cell phone. He may not play that game. <laughs> I wonder if the Sixers' only real leverage across the league comes in the form of somebody who thinks they're a contender, struggles, or has an injury, and says, well, we need somebody else. And they go get Ben Simmons. Come on now, Lakers are own one <laughs> Lakers are own one. Russ can't shoot. Westbrook versus neither can Simmons. That, the, Westbrook the, and Simmons. They'll replace one bad shooter with the other. <laughs> I'll replace them. Yeah, that might be a little bit better. Maybe.